us down to the last comic shop in five, four, three, two, one. Hey, hey! It is now time for more of the last comic shop. We're opening up the shop to newbies to help them find their way underneath the comic book tent. And we're keeping the lights on for the oldies that like their comic books mixed with social commentary and spun all together with all sorts of fun, crazy things. Yeah! Giant planet heads that are not ego. There you go. (laughs) Psycho nuns and planet heads. I I, I guess, yeah. I mean, it's wonderful when we get to talk to Eisner Award-winning creators. And that's what we're doing on The Last Comic Shop today. I'm the host with the most, Andy Larson. I'm joined by Chad Smith and J.A. Scott. They did not win Eisner's. And I talk to them all the time. So this week, I wanted to go outside the box and talk to people that won them. And that is Mark Russell, the wonderful writer of so many great things. If you go around to the last comic shop archives, you can find plenty of episodes featuring books that Mark Russell has written, such as Superman Space Age or Fantastic Four Life Story or... We did Snaggle Plus on that old podcast. I thought we don't talk about that podcast. There's got to be. I thought there was one more. Go out so there. So wait, just... did, Chad, did did you recommend the Lone Ranger book when we did Lone Ranger? Because we didn't do the Mark Russell Lone Ranger, but that's true. I did, did a Lone that. Ranger. I've recommended it before. That's for sure. With uh, Mark Russell and Bob Q. Also, I know I've talked about One Star Squadron that he did through DC. I've also talked about Second Coming. I didn't talk about the sequel to the Second Coming or the third series for Second Coming, I don't think. But those are also really cool, too. Uh, Mark Russell has a ton of great books out there. Wonder Twins. I love the Wonder Twins. Yes. But let's not spend any more time just talking amongst us. Let's actually talk to Mark Russell. So let's fire up the Archive Rama 3000 and get him on the horn now. Let me, let me activate Chris Farley mode. Like, remember that time you wrote Wonder Twins? That was awesome. <laughs> I knew you'd okay, have to get a Chris Farley. Do, do, do we have like a uh, a secret word we can utter when Chad starts fangirling too much? <laughs> I think I think it'll be pretty obvious. <laughs> Bananas. All right. Well, here we are on the last comic shop, and we're talking with Mark Russell. Mark, thank you so much for calling in to the last comic shop, buddy. How you been doing? Doing good. And we've been wanting to have you on this program for forever. I mean, Chad, how many books have we covered on the last comic shop? Because you're a huge fan. I am a huge fan. So we've done Superman Space Age, Fantastic Four Life Story, so Not know. All Robots, yeah. yeah. And the old show we did, Snagglepuss Chronicles. Yeah, absolutely. I've been a big fan. I keep uh, advocating for us to do this, the Flintstones book. Yeah, Absolutely. And, and I will say that oftentimes when we're on The Last Comic Shop, we like to talk to creators about their comic book journey, uh, how they got maybe maybe they were involved with comics or what were the comics maybe they grew up with uh, that may have then translated into how they write or draw. And uh, what's your comic book story, Mark? Well, I started out, you know, reading like Mad Magazine when I was like 10, 11, 12. And for a long time, I thought, well, this is the only comic book that matters but it wasn't until i got into college i had a friend who's sort of my guide into the world of comics and he's like you know comics are very different now than when we were kids and he sort of curated my my reading so he he gave me like v for vendetta and sandman and martha washington goes to war uh and so that became what i thought of comics were there it's like well this is you know it's actually a a literary form and then in the 90s you know i i sort of discovered indie comics so like too much coffee man flaming carrot uh madman work of like matt graining and linda berry that and that sort of became what i thought okay well this is this is what the comics world is now so i think all of those steps on the way from mad magazine to alan moore and neil gaiman to the indie comics of the 90s have all sort of informed the way i write they've all sort of informed my sensibility and how I approach my own comics. Heck yeah. From the fan perspective, you see the, the satirical, you know, what me worry aspect of your work along with, you know, you managed to tackle a lot of really uh, hard hitting issues and like things you don't see normally uh, dealt with 
in comic books, but you seem to do that. And, you know, uh, when you're at your best, you're having a lot of fun with it. I, I, I feel like. Yeah. I did want to ask you about your mad magazine days. Um, cause I mean, I, I was a fan of mad magazine when I was growing up too. Unfortunately, I didn't have any like more recent issues in the eighties. I had all these issues that my uncle had that were like from the late sixties, early seventies. So I didn't get a lot of the so jokes. Like a, Most of them were about Nixon a parody and, of like, and <laughs> a parody of like Tom Jones or something. Right. But there was that, uh, Oh, who was the guy that drew the the superhero? Um, Don Martin was the guy. It's like Doc right. Martens, like the shoes, no. except he was like. But he did like the uh, the uh, snappy comebacks, the stupid questions. And right. Stuff like that. But who was your favorite artist or writer from the Mad Magazine days? Like Al, oh yeah, Al Jaffe was probably the best. But personally, I, I really like everything Sergio did. Uh, I love the little comics in the margins of the. Uh, of the mad but yeah al al was amazing al was probably the funniest of all the the bad magazine guys i'm a, i was sincerely also a huge fan of mad so that's kind of cool and to chad's point it does show that like again your your type of writing style at least from a fan perspective is all about kind of like how do you take on these really huge monumental issues without just coming out and saying like, you know, using satire and, and sarcasm and, and kind of veiling these things, you know, with allegory and things. It, it, it works. It's funny. It's sharp. It's poignant. It's great. Sometimes well, it's veiled you. and sometimes your characters name things like Red Flag, <laughs> which was the best. Wonder Twins. So I, yeah, I, 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 That's one of the things I like about the, the writing the superhero comics is when they let me just sort of make up my own characters and throw <laughs> them in there because uh, I can give them cool names and uh, underwhelming power sets and uh I, i'm writing a comic right now with my friend bryce ingman who's the ones who sort of reintroduced me to comics in the uh, uh in the 90s and it's a sort of an homage to superheroes it's called my bad and it's basically all these characters that we just created that, that just have like bizarre power sets or like sort of thinly veiled parodies of like actual superheroes very cool so you went from being a comic book fan or a, a person that was taking all these steps, like, you know, this is what comics are. And then this is what comics are. And then this is what comics are. And then you were like, ah, how did you decide I'm going to be a comic book writer and like decide what my comics are at least? Well, I didn't really, I um, had always planned to just write prose. Thought I was going to be writing novels and nonfiction books and things like that. Um, but I got a call from DC asking me if uh, I would be interested in writing a comic book they were planning on doing running up to the 2016 election called Prez, where they were bringing back like a comic they had done for like four issues in 1973 about the first teenage president. They thought it'd be a good sort of election time thing. So I was intrigued by the call. So I said, yes. And that was the first time I started writing a comic and, uh, but I, I found it really worked with how my brain works because the thing I hate writing in prose the most is like visual details and creating a scene with words. And it's much better to create a scene with pictures. Go figure. So uh, <laughs> writing a comic allowed me to dump all that onto the plate of some artist. And so I thought, well, this really works well. Uh, and that I tend to think visually when I'm writing stories. So it really sort of, I think, I, I think I found my, my natural medium just by this lucky break and getting to write this one comic book. That's awesome. And that led to your work on the Hanna-Barbera books where you did the Flintstones and Snagglepuss. Mm -hmm. And what was that like? Cause it's not just working with DC. You have a whole different uh, set of people you've got to deal with. And, and the stuff you did was pretty radical in terms of, you know, your take on those characters. How was that received in office? Well, like I said, I was kind of a novice when it came to writing comics. I didn't really know what I was doing. Uh, and my reading background comics was always sort of edgy stuff i thought well this is what comics are so this is how i'm going to write the flintstones i'm going to write it like this sort of my manifesto on where civilization went wrong it didn't yeah. occur to me that it, somebody that hannah barbera might actually have a problem with that or have, <laughs> have issues but then after i turned in the first script i got all these notes from hannah barbera that were basically destroying what i had written there things like uh you cannot mention a deity uh Fred has to say yabba dabba do once issue. The, the the tone should be upbeat and and uh, there shouldn't be any talk about self harm, <laughs> you know. Oh, and so I, I was you know I was like, well, this isn't what I signed up for. This is kind of the opposite of what I had pitched. Marie Javens, my editor, said, well, don't worry about it. Just write the comic you're going to write. And 
her and Dan DiDio sort of thanked Hanna-Barbera for their input and said, but this is the way we're going. And that was the last I heard from them. And wow. from then, it was, that point on, it was just sort of like game on. I could write about whatever I wanted. I was the, the reviews were a little mixed at first. Like, not everybody was on board. And, you know, I got a bunch of these, uh, you've ruined my childhood. Type of <laughs> okay. Comments. I can see uh, which, a different you know, take. I can see that. No, I, I understand. It's sort of like, you know, they were putting something in their mouth they thought was chocolate and it turned out to be barbecue sauce. Yeah. <laughs> the off-putting. And I think also, you know, it was just kind of weird to me, though, that that's people have that much invested in the Flintstones or anything. You know, it's like I wrote two books about the Bible and I got more pushback for what I did to the Flintstones. <laughs> you know, comic. I mean, don't mess with people's childhoods. I, 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 we found that out. Like, nostalgia yeah. is like the most powerful it can make people buy just, like I don't know five hundred dollar toys that they have no business right. as a forty year old man. Owner. Oh, comics introduced me to the force of toxic nostalgia, which I'd never you know had had encountered before. Yeah, unfortunately, that's a thing. But once you were done in the critical reception of both the Flintstones and Snagglepuss, it was a really great reception. Did you hear anything from Hanna Barbera after that, or? No, I never heard anything from Hanna Barbera, but I think that yeah, once the the worm had sort of turned on the reception, and I think the hardest part with the Flintstones and with my work in general is just getting the people who would like it to take a chance on it, because uh, most people in their right mind are like, well, I'm not going to read a Flintstones comic, and so it takes a little while for it to find the people that that would really enjoy it. But once they did, the the overall reception for the comic turned around. I think it's been my writing philosophy since is to just assume that the pe- the audience for this comic will find it eventually that uh-huh. it, you know somebody picking up it at random or the people who enjoyed previous iterations of this character that I'm writing might not be on board with what I'm doing with it but that's okay cuz they've still got the old stuff they can enjoy and read and I've got people who will enjoy this they just need to be made aware of its existence I also wanted to ask while we're in this this section, you alluded to Second Coming, your miniseries. Actually, you're in the middle of the third one currently from Ahoy Comics. And one of my favorite parts of that book is in the very first uh, series, there's a conversation between God and I think it's Sunstar up in heaven. Was that your idea with all the restaurants that had moved on? <laughs> yeah. Uh, for those who don't know, we- it's talking about the uh, the food court in heaven is popular by, with fast food chains that have closed down. Uh, <laughs> so like there's a racks in the food court in heaven and like a burger chef. And, and that, yeah, that was my idea. Um, to put those in there. It was something I like one idea I had from the very beginning, even before I laid a single page down of uh, second coming. That's a joke I wanted to put in there. <laughs> it's got to get Kenny Rogers roasters in there. <laughs> oh, Yeah. <laughs> So it's got to be a fringe benefit too. Is like being able to be like, you know what? I'm going to include racks in my comic book. Why not? Did, was it hard picking which ones actually were there, or, or or singling it down, or did you know? Like you knew your top five. You were like, okay. Yeah, you know, I'm I'm old enough that I I you know knew a fair amount of them from firsthand experience. It's like whatever happened to Arctic Circle or you know, <laughs> racks? I was genuinely bummed out when racks went under because I liked racks. Yeah. It was like a weird mix of like Arby's because you could get roast beef sandwiches, but you could also get like regular hamburger. I, I, I think that's I think that's what doomed them. They tried <laughs> to do too much. <laughs> they were they, spreading they themselves s- too thin. Stay in your lane. They, Stay in your lane. Right. They flew too close to the sun. <laughs> it's like yeah, it was a Dairy Queen, an Arby's, and a Burger King all in one. Yeah, with a salad bar. <laughs> <laughs> they had a mascot. I think it was an alligator and a. Cowboy hat. I, yeah, it was just it was bad. all over the place. It was just yeah, they were just going for broke, and I like that. <laughs> I like that approach. Uh, just and it's going to lead into what we're going to be talking about after the break with Psychoverse. You've obviously done a lot of content and material that builds off of existing mythos and existing um, storylines, but you've done some stuff that's also original. Do you prefer one or the other? Yeah, I, I prefer the original stuff just because I get to tell the story from beginning to end. But one thing I like about working with other properties that I that other people have created that I don't own is that it has a lot of cultural equity in the mind of the readers. So there's a lot of like explanation I don't have to do because everyone knows who Superman is. Everybody knows who the Flintstones are. So I can just start telling the story. I don't really need to explain who these people are 
or why you should care about them, which you do have to do when you are creating your own world. Building on sort of what you've done with other properties, is there one that you felt was easier or harder? It was like, it was like writing for Superman was very easy because you can basically do whatever you want. He's just a big Boy Scout or Flintstones. Obviously, you said you got a lot of pushback uh, from Hanna-Barbera. Did you get that on the on the Superman book that you wrote as well? No, the Superman book got a pretty good reception, I think, just because most people who hate me knew to stay away from me by by that point. (laughs) (laughs) And it's fair. I don't care. I mean, that's it's you know, uh, there's things I don't like either. I just don't read them. You know, I don't. I you enjoy what you enjoy. What I don't understand are the people who enjoy not enjoying. There's like there's like a limited amount of time you have on yeah I don't understand that blue world like you should find better things than you do than and just focus on things you don't like yeah like saying you know uh, these raisinets are as bad or worse than the other 300 boxes of raisinets I've eaten (laughs) what are you now let me do a YouTube video about it it's right. At that point, the problem is not with the raisinets; it's with you. It's like you are, you <laughs> are just my, addicted to your misery. My raisinet manifesto. <laughs> yeah, it was like that that guy who was uh, Trump's uh, spokesman, Sean Spicer. Oh yeah, he had, oh, yes. he had this like sort of vendetta against Dippin' Dots. He had like, <laughs> like hundred tweets about Dippin' Dots about how you know just like out of nowhere, you, you know, like. Dippin' Dots are not the ice cream of the future. <laughs> I have been there, sir. I have yeah. seen it. It's yeah, not it like is... Dippin' Dots was asking him there is opinion for their ice cream. <laughs> it's, I wonder how they got press passes in the White House. Those Dippin' yeah. Dots, man. He made, hey. They made a powerful enemy. <laughs> by existing. <laughs> oh, Alright, well, we're going to take one commercial first commercial break for today, and uh, we will be right back with more of Mark Russell. We're going to be talking about Psychoverse from Humanoids, uh, so stay tuned for that. Hey, it's Mikey Wood, frequent Last Comic Shop guest and collector. And as a collector, I'm always in need of boards, bags, long boxes, and more to house all those comics. That's why I use promo code LCSPOD to get 10% off my orders at bcwsupplies.com. Not only does it get me a discount on BCW's already low prices, but I know using LCSPOD at checkout is another way I can show my support to the Last Comic Shop podcast and their continuing mission to bring fans together under that big comic book tent. So if you're in need of comic book supplies, Head out to bcwsupplies.com and use promo code LCSPOD today. That's LCSPOD. It was supposed to be a day at the beach, but for four friends, one wrong road will put them on a direct course to being the main course. Her name is Grandma Hazel. A chainsaw-wielding psychopathic cannibal. A beast of the backwoods with a body count higher than a bowl of blood-spattered scotch mints. From the creators of Pocus Hocus. Grandma, no! Grandma Chainsaw. Evil as a perm. And we are back. We are talking with Mark Russell. And now we're going to dive into the Psychoverse, which is his exploration of the Incall. And Mark, why don't you give us a quick 10 cent synopsis of what this is and what we're going to be talking about for the next 20 minutes or so. Yeah, well, those who know the Incall universe created by Jodorowsky and Mobius, it's this crazy futuristic sci-fi world where the ultimate power of the universe is this thing called the Incall, which is like the source of all things and created the universe. And my story is about how it came from this realm which is a realm of pure spirit and imagination called the psychoverse. And my concept is that before something is invented, before something is thought of, it exists purely in the psychoverse. But then when you have an idea for something, when you invent something, it disappears from the psychoverse and appears in our universe, which is the matterverse. So my story is about the psychoverse getting sick of these greedy people like us in the matterverse, stealing everything from them by inventing it, deciding to come back and take back the ink call and all the other stuff that we've taken from them. 
took all their fork knives. That fork yeah. knife was fork awesome. Knife. Was that yes. that was your idea, right? Like you were like, you yeah. know what? Yeah, that, I legitimately I, I want if they do make those and they should, I want some uh, royalties. <laughs> it's so much more useful than a spork. A I've fork always together. wanted one of those. If I had a restaurant, that would be my hook. <laughs> Mine would be the restaurant where it's you don't get a knife and a fork, you get a fork knife, which is a fork where the, the prong on the end is sharpened, the side of it's sharpened, so it works like a knife. It's one of the first things I ever taught my kids when they were like cutting up like their pancakes. I'm like, you don't need a knife, you can just use the side of your fork. Yeah. It's sweet. Yeah. Now that, that that now you're yeah. in, now you're in business. Now I don't know. I, I see the dangers here. You're gonna need lots of like crazy glue to suture up people's tongues <laughs> from all these fork knife accidents. <laughs> Oh, Lordy. In in speaking about uh, Psychoverse, uh, you worked on this with a variety of different folks. Chad, who did you work on it with? So uh, Yannick Paquette uh, was the artist. Uh, Dave McCaig did colors and Troy Pietieri on letters. Oh, there you go. And I was going to ask, over the years, like a lot of really, really great artists have worked on the In Call series. Again, you mentioned Mobius. Uh, also, uh, Juan Jimenez, who who did all of the Meta Baron stuff, which is oh, yeah. kind of crazy. Phenomenal. I like the uh, Meta Baron stuff better than I like the Ink Call. I love the Ink Call. Yeah. I was just curious about like the artist on, on this book, because he's no slouch either. This is this is really good stuff. And oh, so Yannick, it seems great. like it's continuing a trend of really great artists working on the Ink Call series. Did you have any input on this this artist that you were paired with on this? Or did you talk with him? Like, how was the scripting process with him, I guess? Well, one of the reasons why I signed up with Humanoids to do this, why I was excited to do it, not only because I love Inkall and, you know, the chance to work in the, the Johtoverse is a lifelong dream, but also just because Humanoids has such a great reputation of handling art and artists. They always get A-list artists and put out incredible artwork. So I, I trusted them to come up with some names, you know, in their stable of people they would want to put on this project. But they suggested Yannick, who I'd worked with before, actually, on uh, in, in DC's You're the Villain. I, I was familiar with Yannick, and he seemed like just a great choice for this because he has this sort of otherworldly imagination when he's drawing things. He can really sort of conceptualize them in a way that, that thinks outside the box. And I think also Dave McCaig needs a lot of credit because his colors are such a huge part of this book and part of what makes it look so cosmic. Because he, it, a lot, half of it takes place in the psychoverse. This outer space and the skies and everything are colored differently than those on our on planets we're used to. So it looks like a completely different universe, and that's largely uh, thanks to the the colors that Dave put in it. Right, sort of the genesis of this. Did humanoids come to you? Did you pitch them? Did you talk to Jodorowsky at all before, or was it sort of like he allowed? people to play in his universe uh, sort of. I, I wish i wish i had got a t chance to talk to jodorowsky i would have loved that but mark wade approached me he was at the time editor-in-chief at humanoids he approached me and said would you like to to write something for uh the inkle verse and so the idea i came up with was the psychoverse which it was based upon this idea uh from schopenhauer that there are two universes there's the universe in which we live and then there's this spiritual universe of pure ideas thoughts and that human consciousness exists to provide a bridge between the two and so all the thoughts all the conceptions we have exist somewhere it, they just don't exist in the material world until we create them uh, and so i wanted to like use that as the uh, as the starting point for this story about how the inkle came from this this uh psychoverse into our verse and you know upset the balance of power between the two universes by coming to the matterverse well my follow-up is is more on the book itself because i was loving the uh the psychoverse nuns if you will these Psycho nuns, these war yeah. yes these warrior women they came in and then whenever they get into trouble they kill themselves <laughs> so they could go back to the psychoverse yeah they've got a loophole in that when something is destroyed in the matterverse it goes to the psychoverse so all they have to do if they get in trouble is they can just destroy themselves and they'll show up again in the psychoverse. But again, these psychoverse nuns are like they're victims of crimes against women within the matterverse. That's how you become a psycho nun in the psychoverse. Right. You know, when people die and they come into the psychoverse, the appropriate judges are people who were oppressed and suffered in the matterverse. These are the, the ones who should decide 
your fate once you go to the psychoverse. And I wanted to like introduce the psychonauts, not just as like these, you know, baddies or villains, but as people with like a real perspective, as people who are like, there's a reason for what they're doing and a rationale behind it. And, you know, it's hard to say who the, the bad guy or if there is even a villain in the story. It's just people with conflicting interests all wanting, you know, the same thing which is their own survival. And, and that's, I've always said that the best quote unquote villains are the ones that are the heroes of their own story. Like the ones that are like, they, they've got their own reasons for going about what they're going to be doing. And the psychoverses fits that to a T because again, they're, they have, especially the, I'm, I'm just going to call it like a mother. What is that? Mother superior version of the, and she's there and she even gets put on trial by her other psychoverse nuns for her more like fanatical quest of hers and she's the one that's like no like i truly believe in my heart of hearts that this is the right course and so i can stand up to like any sort of test that you put in front of me because i really believe this is what we should be doing and so that that was a really because there were bugs eating her. there were bugs eating no they have a for those who don't know what he's talking about the in this order of the psycho nuns if there's a dispute and you, someone accuses you of heresy you can be challenged to a trial of faith. And then basically whoever's faith is stronger in their religious beliefs wins. And the way they test your faith is that they put you both down in on this wheel on the ground and they pour these flesh-eating bugs on you and the bugs devour you. And the first person to like beg for it to stop is like their faith isn't as strong yes. and then they're, <laughs> they're killed. And so, yeah, she has to survive a test of faith. There you go. It's, it's some more slight religious commentary, I think. Yeah, and I think it really that. is about how the, the or the where people go wrong uh, in religion or in politics is not necessarily in their the core of their beliefs, but in their the fanaticism and yes. their willingness to like ignore all ethical or factual contradictions to get what they want. Right. I, there's always a moment in a Mark Russell book where you have those lines that just cut to the quick of what's going on. And I love when the, the mother superior nun is like, you know, humans or are, are intelligent life forms are the only ones that can talk themselves into lies. Like animals will see things for as they are. But that's kind of the uh, the danger is that we're so intelligent, we can convince our, ourselves to do things that are utterly suicidal. Well, I, want, I wanted to kind of uh, piggyback on an earlier question that J.A. had, again, again about this being, like, in essence, uh, a prequel to The Incall. And, like, again, The Incall is such a famous book. John, I, I actually didn't think that John, who was the main character of The Incall, played a lot of a part in, in your particular book. It was actually more about the other characters, like the Meta Baron, like the Psychoverse nuns, the other characters. And, and John's there, and he's doing John things for folks that have read the, the In Call. But did you do that on purpose? Did you want to tell more of the background? Because you did like a lot about the Bergs, like their whole society yeah. and things like that. John's kind of the object of the story rather than the subject, in that the story is talking about how he comes to be the one in, that possesses the In Call at the beginning of the In Call. And so it's not really that he's the main character. He's just one of several characters in the story that culminates in him getting the inkle without knowing it. Yeah, just existing within that dumb luck. Did you feel a lot right. of pressure doing this book, given like the history of the Incal and kind of like, again, we all know sometimes the word prequel is a dirty word around fandom. They're like, oh, we don't want to know how things are. Yeah. But this is like the end of your book is John falling and that's how the end call starts. So like, Spoilers. I'm doing it. <laughs> Any case, did you feel a lot of pressure with, with writing this? Uh, you know book? what? I've, I've only felt that pressure twice where it's like, Oh geez, I better not screw this up. And that was with Superman space age in this book. Okay. Cause you know, there are things I loved and I came into it. So I wasn't just like feeling I could just make it my own and do what I wanted with it. I felt like I had to give it the proper respect and work within its the rules of the playground, which I usually don't do. And, and so, yeah, I did feel pressure. Uh, but I partly got around that by also creating the Psychoverse, which is my playground. Yeah. The playground within the playground. Well, no, it was it was the right call, too, because it, it gave you an entire other ta tapestry to work with that was your, was your own. That was actually brilliant. Good for you, Mark. <laughs> and I was going to say, as a, as a reader, I, I'm not familiar with the, the in-call or the Jodo-verse. My exposure is just the Jodorowsky's Dune, which was bananas. <laughs> I saw that documentary. Yeah. But oh. um, 
I, I struggled a little bit, I won't lie, initially, but by the third issue or so of this story, I'm like, oh, this is a Mark Russell book. I can see all the Mark Russell notes and things. Did you get more comfortable as the story was going on, like taking control of the wheel? or? Yeah, and part of it is just I knew how it was going to end from the beginning, so I gave myself the license to, you know, I understood people might not understand or might not be immured in what, what's happening at the beginning, but if they stick around, it, it will make sense. There you go. Any advice for people like me that might not be as versed in the ink call, uh, you know, and how to how to best approach this universe or yeah. where to go next? For those people that haven't read the ink call, do you feel like they have to read this before they read your book? No, they don't have to. I think you'll probably get more out of it if you have read the ink call, but you could read it, you know, without having ever having read the ink call. And I think it makes sense. But I think those people who have read the ink call and love the ink call will get a lot more of the Easter eggs or will understand more about the characters right off the bat they won't have that initial sort of period of uh wondering what's going on or who these people are you know they will they will get a lot of that much more quickly yes because i also haven't read the in call so i don't know if this exists in the in call or if this is one of your creations but i love the uh the planet as a head concept of the the guy the two planets talking to each other the one's like like how's my beard coming in but it's a forest essentially (laughs) And, and the idea that People would come together and they're like, okay, you are a perfect person to now run the planet. And when they're young, they're really good at running their own planet. But as they get older, they forget about the people that are living on their planet and they're just sort of doing their own thing. Yeah, no, that was my idea. And it's a, it's like a, a metaphor I've had for a while that I wanted to work into it. That was, you know, about like the, the problems with autocratic governments or, you know, sort of dictatorships is that even if you are this populist sort of beloved figure at the beginning eventually you just get used to being kanye west or whoever you know you get used to being this sort of detached billionaire and you forget what it was that you came to do and i think that's what happens to these giant planet head people where it's like the longer they spend as the planet and less as like a person the more they begin to fig- forget what the, the people on the planet actually need it's like singapore <laughs> essentially jeez <laughs> My goodness, we're getting deep. I, here, I just thought it was like Ego, the Living Planet guy from from Marvel. I was like, oh, it's a Jack Kirby thing. I like that. I dig that. Any case, we'll be right back after these commercial breaks. We're going to wrap it up with Mark, and he's going to be talking about some other projects that he's working on. So stay tuned. Greetings, ghouls and boils. I'm the Ghoul Master, a loving homage to horror anthology narrators of yesteryear. Wait, I'm an homage? Why didn't anybody tell me? You'll hear from my agent about this. But first, let's get to the heart of the matter. I'm here to tell you about the new horror anthology, Memoirs of the Morbid, on Kickstarter in time for Halloween. Memoirs of the Morbid is a black and white homage to classic horror comics from the 40s and 50s, containing five self-contained stories by some of the best indie comic creators out there. There's that word again. I better not find out homage is an insult. Anyways, Memoirs of the Morbid is completely done and ready to go to the printer. So don't make a grave mistake by missing it. Hey, are you looking for your new favorite comic? Are you interested in epic fights, a career change, creating comics and mental health? You have come to the right place. My name is Oscar Osorio, and up until a few months ago I was working at a desk for a big company, until I burned out and decided to pursue my passion, comic books. It was the beginning of my new, better life, at least that's what I thought. Turns out that doing what you love may involve newer mental health issues, worrying about getting money, feeling you're not enough, fear of disappointment, and more. So I combined these emotions with my love of superheroes and fan comics and turned it into my debut comic book, A Neverending Adventure the fantastic quest of an aspiring creator looking for an idea. Life on soup, right now. So come with me as I embark on the never-ending adventure of creation. All right, we're back with more of The Last Comic Shop, and we're still talking with Mark Russell because we're enjoying it. 
That's what we like to do. Now, Mark, later on this week is the San Diego Comic-Con, and we have been talking about it for the last couple of weeks about, again, the fact that you are up for some awesome awards. Not only Best Writer for a multitude of books that, that you've written this year. Again, some of the ones we you can go back to the last comic shop and listen to our reviews of, like Superman Space Age. We did that book. And so I was curious... What 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 is it like to be a part of all that Eisner buzz stuff? I guess no, it's exciting, uh, you know, because it's it's largely about the respect of the other people making comics, which is you know means a lot to me because I uh, so many of these people that, that I, I I love and respect, and it's kind of what I like best about San Diego. Going to San Diego and that Comic Con is I get to see these people that I only maybe see once or maybe twice a year get to hang out with them in a fun environment the ceremony itself is kind of long it's like usually four or five hours so you have to sort of make yourself comfortable but it's it's you know it's exhilarating when you win which i, I say that like i won a ton of them but you know i've, I've won one it was exhilarating uh but you know it's it's like you have to sort of uh go in assuming you're going to lose because there's so much talent there's so many great things going on but it's it's fun you know regardless I was curious, did you get to see Mike Diodato at, at last year's when you guys won for Not All Robots or no? No, he lives in Brazil, so he wasn't there. But I am going to CCXP in Brazil uh, at the end of November, so I'll meet him there. Oh, nice. Because that was one of our favorite books, honestly. I what What's the story behind that? Like, why did you want to write Not not All Robots? Like, where did that idea come from? Well, it came during the, the Me Too movement uh, when, you know, people were replying, well, not all men do this, which is like, well, yeah, of course, but it's not really a rebuttal to, you know, these <laughs> women who have experienced sexual abuse. So I wanted to sort of write the uh not all robots is sort of a parable for toxic masculinity about this world where the robots have all the jobs they have all the money and still somehow that's not enough for them it's still they, they feel like victims uh because people are scared of them and, and rightfully so because every now and then one of the robots goes crazy and kills their family <laughs> and you know the humans live in fear of the robot who's now living in their house is the only person in the family who's allowed to have a job and the robots live in resentment of the humans because it's now going to support this family. It doesn't really care about. And so uh, it, it really is kind of about the poison that is in human relationships is when we see each other as economic roles and not as actual people. And this is what has created the, the division between robots and humans. Wow. Deep stuff, Mark. Deep <laughs> stuff. Now, that book came out through AWA, and you mentioned earlier you have something else coming out through AWA uh, pretty soon. Tell us a little bit about Rumpus Room. Yeah, so Rumpus Room is my next title with AWA, and I'm really excited for it. Uh, Ramon Rosanas is doing the art on that. And it's uh, about this billionaire who uh, imprisons people who cross him in his rumpus room of his mansion. And uh, one by one, he has them crushed and turned into this really magnificent skin cream. <laughs> which is you know better than any skin cream you can get on the market because it's made with the flesh of victims. Uh, Soil and green is made out of people. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, but he, uh, he, the one sort of allowance he gives these people is he lets them vote on who the next person to be crushed is going to be. Oh wow! <laughs> oh, wow, <laughs> that's awesome. That comes out. I'm not sure what the exact pub date is, but it comes out in a few months. Okay. okay. And I was going to say too. I know you're very prolific with Ahoy Comics. Um, yeah. Billionaire Island is wrapped up. I just finished that uh, miniseries the other day. And then Second Coming is still coming out. Uh, anything from Ahoy that fans should look out for? Or what's yes, that definitely. Like? Um, I have, and I'm really excited about this, a book of uh, stories I did about the serial monsters, you know, okay. like, you know, based upon like Count Chocula and Frankenberry. Uh, it's sort of like those monsters, if they lived in sort of a Game of Thrones type universe. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Yes! It's called like it's called cereal. It is coming out on Ahoy, uh, and for legal reasons, I couldn't actually you know have Count Chocula or Frankenberry. So instead, I have the Marquis de Coco. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that almost sounds better. That almost sounds better. Does the Lucky Charms guy show up? Yes, he is a big part of the story. He's called the Leprechaun King, and he has a crown that embodies the the four wisdom. What he calls the four wisdoms, which is the the green clovers, the yellow moons, <laughs> the pink diamonds. 
<laughs> and he has like this whole philosophy behind what each one means. And uh, a ruler has to master all four. Mm-hmm. Wow. And then add oats. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And the the, the piece that... guy shows up too. He's like a, like a lawyer. <laughs> like, defends the Marquis de Coco and people accuse him of being a vampire. <laughs> this, this is going to be my favorite series of yes. the entire year. I'm, is, I'm is sorry. You've you got other projects. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Whatever. I, I want the serial book. That's that's what I want now. Because this is speaking my way. <laughs> well, there you go. And we didn't uh, bring up My Bad, which the second series of My Bad has come out through Ahoy. And then also, you do work at the big two. Like, you're just nominated for Superman Space Age. Anything coming up out of Marvel or DC that uh, we need to be aware of? Uh, I've got some things pitched with Marvel, but nothing approved yet. And uh, and there is something I've got going with DC, but it hasn't been announced, so I can't talk about it yet. Okay. Oh, that's oh, fine. You know. That's fine. You know. But Mark has some work for all those DC fans out there. You might be seeing some more stuff from Mark. So, your fingers crossed. One Star Squadron 2. <laughs> We need right. Wonder Twins too, as well. That's I also right. love Wonder oh, I would, Twins. I would, I would do that tomorrow if they allowed. I was so sad that movie never uh, particularly. Yeah. Although I don't think it would have anything to do with my story, but I was looking forward to it. Oh, that's that's a shame. Was that, it, a, was that, did you always want to write a book about the Wonder Twins or was that just like they pitched it to you? I hadn't or? really thought about it. It was like uh, Bendis when he uh, was over at DC for the Wonder Comics, they allowed him like to, to create his own line. Mm-hmm. And he wanted to do like a like a line of teenage comic heroes, and one of the ones he wanted to do was Wonder Twins. What was that like being tapped by Brian Bendis for his Wonder Line? Because that's that's uh, got to be an oh honor my as God, well. That was great. Yeah, that was re- I was very honored because you know he's like a legend, and uh, and he taught me a lot. Just a magnificent guy. So it was mm-hmm. a, a dream working with him. What was the other book? Did they did they do Dial H for Hero? They did Dial H, yeah, yeah. and uh, Naomi. Yeah, that was great. So d- you didn't have like your pick of them, like you couldn't have done. No, like- they offered me Wonder Twins, but okay. to me, it's like Wonder Twins. It's rare for me to like, oh, I get a superhero that I actually know a lot about. <laughs> so bucket of water. Kinda- I love the hockey rink stuff. <laughs> that, that whole book was just wonderful. Yeah, it was. I think that you know those powers are underrated. <laughs> <laughs> I really enjoyed that one. Yeah, yeah. well, we're looking forward to all these really great books, Mark, and we're looking forward to maybe having you back on the show sometime in the future. So thank you so much for joining us on The Last Comic Shop. Make sure that you're checking out all of Mark's wonderful stuff. Where can they find you, Mark, uh, on a a regular Uh, basis? Well, I'm currently I'm on Twitter. I probably won't be once, you know, the uh, the the Blue Sky uh, account comes through. (laughs) But uh, (laughs) but for now, I'm on Twitter at Manrus, M-A-N-R-U-S-S. And that's also my handle for Instagram. And I'm on Facebook. There you go. And you can pick up Psychoverse from uh, Humanoids. Uh, so make sure that you do. We really enjoyed it. And for again, for folks that like that, you can also get the rest of the in-call universe through Humanoids. So it's uh, a really great place to get all of that great stuff. Uh, uh, thank you. everything right. in the Jotoverse. Yes. So thank you so much for being on the last comic shop, Mark. And we hope to see you soon, sir. Until then, keep doing that great stuff that you be doing. All right. Well, that was great talking with Mark Russell. Fantastic. I hope he comes back to the last comic shop. I, I really did enjoy talking with him and uh, I'm going to be looking forward to that serial epic. That's tricks are for kids. I wonder when the rabbit shows up. I wonder if he's like high on LSD or something. <laughs> the tricks rabbit, you gotta believe, is, is involved with him. I can't wait for the oats lawyer. Oh, or the fruity yummy mummy. Everybody remembers that guy. It was just like they fruit brute and they were like, nah, werewolves aren't cool anymore. We'll make mummies. What were some other uh, iconic serial mascots that you would like to see in this upcoming serial book? Tony the Tiger. He's great. Yeah, that Fruit Loops, dude. What about Smacks? Remember Smacks? Who names a cereal Smacks? Or Cuckoo for Cocoa Pops? You could just have him. He'd just be like he was a drug addict. They're all drug addicts. They're all high on their own high fructose supply. <laughs> well, something we're hoping that you're addicted to is reading more comics. So we're going to give you some recommendations. Yes, these are other books that you can go to your local comic book shop and pick up in addition to Psychoverse by Mark Russell, as well as all the other wonderful Mark Russell books that we talked about on today's program. Yes, that's right. In fact, mine might be found in the buck pit. Well, before we get to that one, let's go ahead and get to Chad. (laughs) Mine's totally off the wall. I'm going to go with The Marvel Vault. 
museum in a book. Yes. It's actually super awesome. And I think I showed this to you, Andy, one time years ago. It has reproductions of sketch pages for the Submariner. They have cards that Bill Everett sent to his daughter when she was at camp. They have the Mary Marvel Marching Society, like, membership card and the letter they would send to kids. The No Prize book, which I actually have a copy of that regular size. The Marvel trading cards. The Marvel menu from when they had their restaurant. But it goes through their history and it has all these really cool pictures and these little pull-out reproductions of some awesome artifacts. But that's what I love. That's my romance that's gotten fat with me. Well, something I love. And in fact, when I got it originally, I think I'm pretty sure I got it in a buck bin. Of course, a buck bin back then wasn't as good as a buck bin now. It was like a quarter bin back then. I don't know. Anyways, I am recommending this nice little four-issue arc that runs from Silver Surfer Volume 3, number 40 through number 43. And this is when the Silver Surfer falls into Dynamo City and loses all his powers and has to, like, get a job. (laughs) He's not very good at anything because he's in this city where he's got this silver skin and everything that makes him overheat. (laughs) It's a classic Jim Starlin. And... The, the second issue of the four-issue run has got the classic cover of the surfer in line to try to get a job. Oh, With all these different aliens, you know, one-eyed things, all this different stuff by Ron Lim. It's, it's, it's a classic, fun... I, you almost want to say it's like a bubble episode, but it's four episodes. It's four issues long. So, the, you know, back when they used to stretch these things a bit, sometimes it takes place right before Infinity Gauntlet. It was like a reset, a sort of, OK, we're going to do something for a couple of issues with the surfer before we get into the next 30 issues of Infinity Gauntlet that's coming up. And uh, it's this fun little storyline where he's basically in a in a city that has sucked his power set off, so he can't do anything. Wow! Why didn't he get a job as a lifeguard? You would think. Oh, right. <laughs> it's just an idea. Any case, yeah, I remember you getting that, and I do remember that cover. What is that? 41, 41. 41. Okay, yeah, that's a great cover. Great stuff by Ron Lim. That was a great pick. Oh, and, and then one of the other issues, he basically ends up selling his memories and he makes this deal and he'll get all this money. He's like, oh, I can save like so many people with all this money. But then they're like, OK, that'll be five dollars for this and ten dollars for that and six dollars for this and four dollars and this fee and that fee. And he ends up with like less than he needs just for himself. <laughs> oh. like, well, it's not my fault. You didn't have a lawyer. Oh, wow. Well, that's a great summertime read. And speaking of summertime reads, my recommendation is also another one of my selections from my summertime reading list. Yes, these are great comic books that you can read by the pool or lake or whatever swimming place that you like to go. Uh, And it is a part of Bronze Age Hulk. You know, I'm going to show my love for the Hulk. I've already recommended a couple other Hulk books uh, just this year, including Hulk Gray and some other ones. But this one comes from the Bronze Age, which is probably my favorite time to be a Hulk fan uh, because you had a lot of really great writers. And in fact, this particular collection, which I'm talking about, uh, which is called Crisis on Counter Earth. Uh, is a collection of a a wide variety of stories done by some terrific writers, including Steve Englehart, Roy Thomas, Jerry Conway, Archie Goodwin, Steve Gerber, Chris Claremont, and Tony Isabella. And it's all got that Herb Trimpey art, which is fantastic. Collection of the issues between 157 and about 178. So you get a lot of issues in this almost omnibus level uh, collection of issues. Although there aren't any really like key issues among these runs, some of these issues are really my favorites, including Hate of the Harpy. That's where Modoc turns uh, Betty Ross into the Harpy for the first time, gives her gamma powers and puts her against the Hulk. So you basically finally get that lover's quarrel between the Hulk and and Betty Ross as as the harpy and then they go up into the clouds and they fight a bunch of monsters and 
I don't know. There's just a lot of great issues in there, including like he fights with the juggernaut an issue. And in particular, the one that uh, the, the title comes from crisis on counter earth, where for all those folks that know about, you know, the guardians of the galaxy three movie that just came out, this is where the Hulk actually goes to counter earth and meets Adam Warlock, which is kind of a really interesting story. So if you like just classic Hulk, Go pick up Crisis on Counter-Earth in Epic Collection. And speaking of wonderful issues, make sure that you're checking out the last Comic Shop podcast for all of the issues we're going to be talking about for the rest of the summer over at www.lastcomicshoppodcast.com. Download all of them. We've got a tremendous backlog catalog of not only great comic book reviews, but also interviews with folks like Mark Russell. Or you can go back and listen to some of our interviews we did at some Comic Cons or with Dennis Culver and all kinds of great folks. Russ Braun. Remember Russ Braun? Yeah, Russ. And if you're looking for great stuff to put your comic books in, make sure that you're getting all your bags and boxes and boards all over at bcwsupplies.com. It's a terrific place where you can get all of those wonderful things at 10% off if you use our promo code LCSPOD. Again, LCSPOD at checkout gets you 10% off all of that great comic book paraphernalia. Okay. And if you need recommendations, obviously it's our Mark Russell show. Check out some of those Mark Russell books. Things like Wonder Twins. Things like My Bad from Ahoy Comics. Things like Second Comic. There's a, I could name him for days. He's a really prolific writer and does a really great job. Uh, to find our show, you can also head out on social media. Uh, we are on Twitter and YouTube and all the rest of those places. At Last Comic Shop. Where Jay, what else can they find there? Polls on uh, Thursdays usually. And uh, we put you to bed at night. Well, most people go to bed. I am waking up uh, with some Golden Age comic book covers. Of course, everything, all links, all our socials, all available on the website. That's the homepage. You can find all of our shows there as well. That's the last comic shop podcast.com. We also have links to the merch store. If you want a T-shirt, you need a coffee mug or a tote bag for the next time you are at a Comic-Con. There you go. And until next week, I was the host of The Most, Andy Larson. I'll be joined once again by Chad Smith and J.A. Scott as we recap San Diego Comic-Con and who won at the Ice News and the great news that came out of that awesome event. Here's hoping that Mark Russell brings home at least something, whether it's for Best Writer or for his work on uh, Superman Space Age. And maybe Psychoverse from Humanoids. Yes, go make sure that you're picking up Psychoverse from Humanoids, like Chad said. Oh, I can't stop. Look at those psycho nuns to make them stop. Thank you. Until next week, did you ever find somebody that used to play the game Battleship? Most people think it's hit or miss. Oh, you know it's bad when he starts laughing before he even tells the joke. Oh, that's Russell would enjoy it. He liked Max. So, so who, who's the Meryl Streep of the Eisners? Shop was a 2023 Black Anders production.